drugs, sex, and eight dead women. I believe she's with God, and that's the best place she can go. And she's free, and I think she's away from all the pain. More than 10 years after the first body is found, there are lots of theories, but still no answers. Was it the work of a serial killer? Was a law enforcement officer involved? Was it someone they knew? Who can kill eight girls in a small town and no evidence, you know what I'm saying? This is Southwest Louisiana Unsolved, the Jeff Davis 8. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jillian Corder. I'm an anchor and reporter at KPLC-TV in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I've covered cold cases for years, and this is a case I hope authorities can one day close. The Jeff Davis 8 is one of Southwest Louisiana's biggest mysteries. A series of unsolved deaths in Jefferson Davis Parish between 2005 and 2009. The cases have been the focus of dozens of news stories across Louisiana, the country, and the world. Documentaries have been made, and there are documentaries still to come. There have been twists in this case. A law enforcement officer was disciplined by the ethics board during the investigation. A witness, whose statements put two people in jail in connection to the case, later recanted her statement. In this series, we're starting from the beginning. We want you to experience this as people in the community experienced this case. From the first body found to the present day, 14 years later. We'll hear from those we interviewed years ago, but we'll also have all new interviews with relatives and authorities who can tell us where are we now. You'll also hear from some of KPLC's veteran journalists who have covered the case extensively. So why do people refer to this as the Jeff Davis 8? The name comes from the parish in Louisiana where all eight women lived. For those of you listening, a parish is a county in any other state. The biggest city in Jefferson Davis Parish, or Jeff Davis Parish for short, is Jennings. Jennings is situated right along Interstate 10. It's a small town where on a Friday night in the fall, many families can be found at Jennings High School cheering on the football team. It was a spring day in May 2005 when the first victim was found. Loretta Chasson Lewis had been reported missing three days earlier. A fisherman found her body floating in a canal off Highway 1126. That's southwest of the city of Jennings. She was 28 years old. Her brothers described her as a woman who always put her family first. She was a mother, a wife, and a daughter. Authorities say her body was too badly decomposed to determine a cause of death. But authorities say drugs and a high level of alcohol were in her system. At that point in time, this is one isolated death, but there would be more. Less than a month later, a second victim. The partially nude body of 30-year-old Ernestine Daniels Patterson was found in a canal off Highway 102, southeast of Jennings, on June 18, 2005. She disappeared two days earlier. She was the mother of four small children. Ernestine's family say she did battle issues with drugs, but say she was a caring, loving person. 
going to be just like us. She was, you know, free-hearted. Many months went by without any other victims. It was nearly two years later when the body of Kristen Gary Lopez was discovered by a fisherman in the Petijan Canal off Highway 99. She was a loving child. She was my baby. Kristen had been questioned by detectives in connection to the first victim, Loretta Chasson Lewis. Authorities say her body was too badly decomposed to reveal how she died. But once again, drugs were found in her system. Two months after Kristen's death, the day before Mother's Day 2007, 26-year-old Whitney Dubois' body was found dumped on a rural road. She was the mother of a five-year-old girl. She was passionate about anything that she did. Um, she loved her family. She loved her daughter. Nearly a year goes by before a police officer finds the body of 23-year-old Lakanya Muggy Brown on May 29, 2008. She, too, was the mother of a small child. Her mother says the last time she saw her daughter, she was heading to a party. She never came home. She loved her child, Jaheem. She would take her child to go walk to the store and buy soda water and potato chips. She loved her child. She loved her baby. A few months later, hunters find the body of Crystal Shea Benoit Zeno. She was just 24 years old. Her mother says she loved church, hunting, and spending time with her family. But her mother also says she had an odd premonition. So what happens if I'm not here next week? She said, what if I am the next one murdered? And she was. Not more than two months later, a seventh victim, 17-year-old Brittany Gary. Her body was found in a field off Highway 1126. She was the cousin of Kristen Gary Lopez, the third victim. Gary was last seen on surveillance video at a family dollar store. Her mother and volunteers launched a search party. I'm coming for you, Brittany. I'm going to find you. I will find you. I'm not going to give up. In August 2009, off Interstate 10, the body of victim eight. Nicole Guillory is found just two weeks before her 27th birthday. Nicole's sister tells us she was a great person who may have also predicted her own death. So I asked Nicole, I said, well, what kind of icing you want on your cake? She said, Mom, it doesn't matter. She said, because I'm not going to be here for my birthday. She said, I won't see my birthday. Not all of these deaths were homicides, but they were all connected in some way. The women ran in the same circles. Many of them were friends. Some of them were related. In an effort to help calm the fear of a shocked and scared community, authorities categorized the women as living a high-risk lifestyle involving drugs and, in some cases, prostitution. You'll hear from family and friends of those women who have been fighting that term and the implication that it lessens the fact that eight lives were lost. KPLC veteran reporter Teresa Schmidt explains the decision to report that information to the community. 
I remember the families of the women who were found dead. Some of them were very upset and insulted that we discussed their lifestyles and the fact that most, if not all, were involved in prostitution and were drug addicts. And the reason that we did that, and I think that the reason law enforcement did it, is because women throughout southwest Louisiana were terrified. They thought that possibly there was a serial killer on the loose and, you know, that they were in danger. And so I think that the reason the police and our news coverage made the distinction between the women whose bodies were found and and many other women is that if you were not engaged in a risky lifestyle, then all indications were you really had nothing to worry about, nothing to fear, at least in terms of what was happening to these women who would eventually become the Jeff Davis Eight. The big question, was one person responsible for the deaths of all these women? Was it the work of a serial killer? Let's learn more about the first victim, Loretta Chasson Lewis. A young girl growing up in South Louisiana, Loretta Lynn Chasson was a firecracker. She was was feisty. (laughs) Her brothers Nick and Chad say she may have been tiny, topping out at 100 pounds, but she was a handful. Chad remembers a time she wanted to sneak out of the house to meet a boy, asking him to not tell their mom. He'd agree, but take her radio to buy his silence. In a 2014 interview with reporter Rhonda Kitchens, Loretta's brothers explain how things changed for their family when their mom was in a serious car accident, paralyzing her. Loretta even running off after the accident. For a couple of days after the accident, they couldn't find her. Please forgive the quality of that audio clip. This interview was done many years ago. But that was Loretta's brother, Chad, who says for a few days after their mother's accident, they couldn't find Loretta. Her family believes the accident and her mother's injury may have been what led Loretta down the wrong path, one of addiction. She did have joy in her life, though. Her two sons with husband Murphy Lewis. Lewis says while their relationship didn't work, she always made time for her children. Now, one thing she did do, no matter where she was or what she was experiencing, she made it, even if it was for two minutes, if she was mad at me, she didn't care what circumstances, she would tell she would cuss me out and tell me, give me the phone, get a phone to my boss so she could say hi to him. A few days without a phone call to her kids, Murphy Lewis knew something was wrong. Her family had the same feeling. Then an officer knocked on the door. Mom called me. She, uh, I was at work. I was driving at the time. She said Loretta's missing. An officer had come by that was worried. He said, I told her he was worried. Loretta hadn't been seen in a few days. And instantly, she had, she just knew instantly. And I, I, I said, Mom, I said, she... She turns up missing all the time. She, she always turns up. She said, no, she said, this time, she said, she's always calls. She always calls. Mom was crying. And it was just a few hours later when they found her. That was May 20th, 2005. And hours later, off Highway 1126, about 10 miles from the city of Jennings, in a canal, the East Bayou Grand Marais, 
A fisherman found Loretta's partially nude body. Though she was reportedly seen just a few days before, investigators say Loretta's body was too badly decomposed to determine a cause of death. They do say high levels of drugs and alcohol were in her system. Her family began asking questions. To this day, they've gone unanswered. Beginning with identifying Loretta, her brothers say they were never allowed to see their sister's body. Even her casket closed at the funeral. We couldn't go see her body when they was in Lake Charles. We couldn't do nothing. We had to bury her not knowing that's her. No calls of death, no suspect, no answers. Though her brothers are convinced those closest to her know something. There's no doubt in my mind that there are people that know either they're scared or just part of or whatever. They're not going to say anything. For some reason, they won't. In the years after Loretta's death, one person has spoken about what may have happened. In an interview with reporter Rhonda Kitchens, a man calling himself a confidential informant says he was working a narcotics case when two men described being involved in Loretta's death. He said him and a group of girls were boarding and he was prescribed to methadone wafers which he kept feeding to Loretta Chasson. After a while, she collapsed. He wraps her in some blankets. Then he goes back and continues pouring with the other girls. He went back and checked on her a few times, he said. But at 2 a.m. is when he realized she had died. She had OD'd from the medicine. He went on to say the two men dumped Loretta's body in the canal. That information was handed over to investigators. What detectives have done with such tips, Loretta's family questions. Her father, Thomas Chasson, says the years since her death have been hell, and he feels the case isn't moving. Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. They're not doing a damn thing. Her brothers, outraged, their sister, and the seven victims after her have been labeled drug addicts and prostitutes. While they know Loretta had several run-ins with law enforcement, she's never been charged with prostitution. The Chassons hope what's been said about Loretta since her death doesn't stop people from caring, from searching for the truth. Less than a month after Loretta's death, the community is shaken, with word that the body of a second woman was found. We'll explore the circumstances surrounding Ernestine Patterson's death including what her sister described as a bizarre encounter in the days before her body was discovered. That's next on Southwest Louisiana Unsolved, the Jeff Davis 8.